last few weeks have literally been all about death and destruction and difficulty and apocalypse. I mean, it's Thanksgiving weekend. I brought that one friend who I've been trying to convince to come to church. She's in from out of town. My family is here. I've come to church today to hear the gospel and to have some mercy dabbed on the beat-up parts of my life. Instead, I hear that the coming of the Son of Man will arrive. Two will be in the field. One will be taken. One left. Two women will be cooking together. One will be taken. One will be left. And that the day of the Lord is coming like a thief. And at an hour you do not expect him. All we can know is that daily routines will be flipped out and over. It's the underside of stranger things. One child will be taken out of crew practice while the other one will be left. Both parents will be out Christmas shopping and one with all the cash will be gone. Yes, we do have to hear this scripture today for some of us. And I assure you, I am the least of these this day. Could this scripture not be any more true in our reading and hearing of it? One of us here and the other gone. No longer at our Thanksgiving tables, but just now. At a banquet on the other side. Yes, we must hear this word today. Because one, we're getting instructions on following the behavior of thieves. And two, since a thief's principal weapon in his nefarious undertaking is surprise, and since he does not give notice when he intends to burgle the house, we must pay attention to the call that is issued and hammered upon throughout the scriptures of both testaments. Be alert. Pay attention. I love the message that says, don't fall asleep at the switch. Over a century and a half ago, a popular sport in America was pedestrianism, sometimes called professional walking, sometimes called ultra-marathoning. People sped walked over long distances. The all-time champion was Edward Weston. In 1874, he walked 500 miles in six days. When he turned 70, to celebrate his birthday, he walked from New York City to San Francisco, 3,900 miles in 105 days. When he turned 71, he walked from Los Angeles to New York City, 3,300 miles in 77 days. He died at age 90 in New York City. He was run over by a taxi. There is consistent stress upon the need for the watch. Those of you who are Game of Thrones aficionados, we remember the Night Watch soldiers who were sent to guard the walls from enemies for the entirety of their lives. This call is translated in every other gospel. Gird up the loins of your mind. Be on guard so that your hearts are not heavy with dissipation, drunkenness, and worry. Sober up. Pay attention. In other words, what are you feeding your head? Priest Richard Rohr will say that the great questions in our walk always are that of blindness and sight. The problem is with our vision. Why do you think so many of Jesus' miracles have to do with restoring sight to the blind? 
There are plenty of other debilitating conditions that Christ could have chosen to cure. But we hear most about blindness. Because Jesus knew if he took care of the eye, everything else takes care of itself. Look again at the scripture. Jesus does not praise good moral behavior or criticize immoral behavior. Instead, he talks about something being caught in our eye. Jesus knows if you see rightly, actions and behavior take care of themselves. I just said the same thing twice. Because, friends, this is the real moral victory of religion, not moral superiority, but being able to see rightly. Someone somewhere once said that awareness is half the battle. Well, it sure is. Let those with ears to hear, let them hear, and with those with eyes to see, let them see. Be alert. Keep the watch. So, two weeks ago, on the 14th, Marco and I went to the Eagles game. It was Monday Night Football. If you're a fan, perhaps you remember that game. So excited were we. Yay, oh yes, undefeated Eagles hadn't been to a football game in nine years. Worst game ever. Completely dogged out by the Washington Commanders. It was not a pleasant ride home or trip out to the parking lot. But what caught my eye and Marco's eye most was the halftime event. The United States Marine Corps Silent Drill Platoon performed a unique silent precision exhibition drill. The platoon is a 24-man rifle platoon that is led by a captain and a platoon sergeant of the United States Marine Corps, and they do it to exemplify the discipline and professionalism of the Corps. I watched on the large screen in the stadium as the captain of the platoon, a young man with a razor-sharp profile and eyes to match with a flick of said eyes, set off a chain reaction of movement and choreograph that was an exquisite visual. This happened because these soldiers have their senses attuned to any subtle change in the environment, to cues they've been trained to recognize and even to cues they didn't know were coming. And in that moment, I was awestruck by a weight of understanding of what degree of alertness these officers must have to practice in the field and in combat. Or even the officers who keep watch at the grave of the unknown soldier. Senses trained and attuned to the environment around them. Beloved, we have neglected the necessity of our own spiritual watchfulness. Clearly, there exists a spiritual world that impinges upon this one. If it were not so, for what other reason would we pray the Lord's Prayer every week? Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Heaven and earth intimately intertwined in a conversation and relationship. We, too, need to have our spiritual senses attuned and trained to pay attention to the environment around us. These people are visionaries. People of vision and discernment, and we need to look for them and listen to them and heed them. The best definition I have for discernment are those who can read the pulse of the divine. And these people exist even today. They are spiritual leaders and they have always existed. They are the Moseses that help people wander through the wilderness. 
the Christ figures who keep their eye on the goal and are not deterred and do not sell out. It is a vision we see in the Christmas characters of Simeon and Anna in the next few weeks whose lives are described solely in terms of their waiting and watching. We see this sort of vision in the wise men choosing to follow a star of all things instead of a rational mode of travel and direction. We see this sort of vision in Mary and Elizabeth and even in baby John still in the womb who weeps just at the voice of his Lord. What was this thing that all of them saw? None of this would have happened. Well, perhaps it would. It is God. None of this would have happened without people who were alert to the coming of the Son of Man, their senses attuned to the spiritual world. These are the watchmen, and forgive my patriarchy, these are the watchwomen. And they exist in real life. They are leaders, prophets, intermediaries, and priests. They are gas station attendants, and dishwashers, and Republicans, and Democrats, and warrior poets, with their feet in both worlds, weathering time, holding fast to a vision that God declared to their hearts from the very first. Perhaps you are a watchman, and perhaps you are a watchwoman, banging out time. It's the name of the African-American spiritual, or the lyrics rather, done made my vow to the Lord, and I never will turn back. Oh, I will go. No, I shall go to see what the end will be. It may have been 10 years ago when I went to an art exhibit where you had to sit in a dark room for 25 minutes. I thought to myself, what is this new age hoo-ha? But I went with it. I was thinking I was in total darkness. But instead there was a very small amount of light coming in from the back wall. After getting over the uncomfortableness of sitting for 20 minutes, with my eyes playing tricks on me and my mind going down all sorts of rabbit trails, one of the most beautiful paintings of Jesus I had ever seen began to appear right before my eyes. It was a breathtaking vision. I had to take some time to adjust to be able to see. There is beauty and godliness in this sort of dark patience. There is a reason we celebrate Christmas at this time of year, because it is our darkest moments when God is revealed. So yes, it's because everything hurts that we prepare for Advent. It's the reason why Advent hymns are so dissonant. Peter and I were talking about this this morning. The song's just aching toward resolution, not even very pleasant. Haven't you ever noticed? You know, it's because we've stood in hospital rooms and gravesides, by dialysis chairs and chemo treatment rooms, that we resolutely lay out candles and matches and scream at our children over tangled up Christmas lights. It's the reason we go to Advent festivals and it's a reason we leave that chair at the table. It is because pain is God's very life, and we are called to invite God into it. The light of the world has come into the world. A sunbeam, a baby boy beam, 
bound for a crossbeam, a God-man born to die. Friends, for all of us, it's a package deal. Advent matters because it's a way of keeping our eyes and our hearts open in the midst of our grief and longing and pain. So in this season of watching and waiting, trust the darkness. The captain is yet still at the helm. So every day, do something that won't compute. Love the Lord. Love the world. Work for nothing. Love someone who you think does not deserve it. Plant sequoias. Watch for the Christ child to come again, even though you have considered all the facts. And now all glory and honor and power to the one who is able to keep us from falling. Amen. Thanks for listening. Please rate and review this podcast so that we can reach more people with the good news of Jesus Christ. To support our ministry, go to www.haddonfieldprez.org and click on the Give tab at the top of the page. Grace and peace be with you.